Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called A Staggering Difference and a Profound Transformation. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, March the 4th, 2012, the second Sunday in Lent. When Patrick Fermer died last year at the age of 96, many people regarded him as Britain's best travel writer. That reputation came in particular from two books that recount his teenage trek across Europe, A Time of Gifts, 1977, and then Between the Woods and the Water, 1986. When Fermer was 18, he left England with little more than a backpack and three years later arrived in Istanbul. The BBC once described him as a cross between Indiana Jones, James Bond, and Graham Greene. I recently read Ferner's little book, A Time to Keep Silence. With its running commentary on history, culture, art, and architecture, the book fits naturally into the travel, liter travel literature genre. But his descriptions of visiting four monasteries are much more than that. Firmer moves beyond the mere outer journey of the traveler to explore the inner geography of the human heart. Firmer started at the Abbey of St. Wandrill in France, which was founded in 649. His next stop was the 11th century monastery at Solmes, famous for its Gregorian chant. He then, he then visited La Grande Trappe, distinct for its strict austerity, in near total silence. <clears throat> that ambiguous experience made him wonder how a psychiatrist would parse what he calls the manhandling of the delicate machinery of the psyche, which these Trappist monks' struggles involve. Finally, the book ends at the abandoned ruins of the rock-carved monasteries in Turkey. When Ferber climbed the hill to the gate of St. Wandrill's, unknown and unannounced, he was merely looking for a quiet place to write. A monk welcomed him, grabbed his bags, and showed him his quarters. Here's your cell. <clears throat> Ferber then describes his shock at the staggering differences he discovered between life inside the monastery and outside in the world. As Karen Armstrong writes in her introduction to the book, the monastery represented another world, one that entirely and deliberately reversed the norms of secular life. In the popular imagination, monasteries are gloomy places of misanthropic austerity. Armstrong notes that some people even feel affronted at how monasticism challenges so much of what the world values. Instead of seeking wealth, comfort, and material success, monks opt for poverty and don't even own their own toothbrushes. Their voluntary celibacy and renunciation of intimacy seems to violate basic human instincts. And they give up their freedom and personal autonomy, vowing obedience to their superiors in a way that's repugnant to the independent ethos of modernity. This fundamental reversal of worldly values made Firmer's first days at St. Wandrill's difficult. 
He experienced intense loneliness, depression, and insomnia. But before long, the hospitality of the monks and the rhythm of their liturgical life made a profound impact on this self-described unbeliever. By the end of his monastic memoir, the paradox was complete. Adapting to the monastic life had been difficult, but returning to the vulgarity of the world, writes Fermer, was, quote, ten times worse, end quote. In the gospel for this week, Jesus tells his disciples that he must suffer many things, be rejected by the religious establishment, and eventually be killed. He spoke plainly about this, says Mark. Peter did what any person acting in the normal ways of the world would have done. He tried to dissuade Jesus from the way of suffering and death. Jesus rebuked him with the harshest of language. Out of my sight, Satan, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus wasn't obsessed with some masochistic mission. Rather, he embodied, like no other person before or after him, the mysterious truth that had shocked Firmer in his monastery visits. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? In our Lenten disciplines, we're not trying to earn God's favor. That's impossible, and even more importantly, unnecessary. We're not even trying to improve our moral character. The epistle this week from Romans, which is Paul's commentary on the Old Testament reading about Abraham in Genesis 17, reminds us that all life from God is pure gift and grace. You couldn't earn it even if you were foolish enough to try. The God of Abraham promises him a progeny long after his age would allow it. For Abraham and Sarah long ago, and for us today, in the words of St. Paul, God calls those things that do not exist into existence. Instead of works righteousness or self-reformation, during Lent, we make choices that enhance and enrich true life. We're reminded that we can accept or reject God's gifts, cultivate them or ignore them. With our Lenten disciplines, like firmer, we discover where and how life in God's kingdom differs so drastically from life in the world. We explore, for example, how self-sacrifice gives life and how self-indulgence is a will to death. Or we might meditate on the paradoxes of the peace prayer, that it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in self-forgetting that we find, and it is in dying to ourselves that we are born to eternal life. A reader from Vermont recently sent me the poem by Denise Levertov called Immersion. Along with Farmer's little book, it reminds me that at Lent, God speaks and acts in ways that are different from the ways of the world, and even different from what I might expect or notice if I don't pay careful attention. Listen to her poem, Immersion. 
There is anger abroad in the world, a numb thunder, because of God's silence. But how naive to keep wanting words we could speak ourselves. English, Urdu, Tagalog, the French of Tours, the French of Haiti. Yes, that was one way omnipotence chose to address us, Hebrew, Aramaic, or whatever the patriarchs chose in their turn to call what they heard Moses demanded the word, spoken and written. But perfect freedom assured other waves of speech. God is surely patiently trying to immerse us in a different language, events of grace, horrifying scrolls of history, and the unearned retrieval of blessings lost forever. The poor grass returning after drought, timid, persistent. God's abstention is only from human dialects. The holy voice utters its woe and glory in myriad musics, in signs and portents. Our own words are for us to speak, a way to ask and to answer. Lent is a liberating reminder that I'm not stuck. Because God speaks in new voices and in unexpected ways, change can come. Renewal is possible. And in the ultimate Christian mystery that awaits us a few Sundays from now, even physical death leads to resurrection life. For books this week, in fact, we have posted the book by Patrick Farmer. Again, its title is called A Time to Keep Silence. And since I've essentially reviewed it already, for this week we'll skip our book review. But for further reflections, I would encourage you to consider two marvelous films about monastic life. See our Journey with Jesus film reviews, first of all, into Great Silence from 2005. It's a movie about the monastery Grand Chartreuse that was founded high in the French Alps in 1049. Then there's the movie of Gods and Men from 2010, a story about eight monks in a remote village of Algeria. It won the Grand Jury Prize at the Cannes Film Festival and was nominated for 11 César Awards, the French equivalent of the Oscars. Again, that's Of Gods and Men from 2010 and Into Great Silence from 2005, reviews of which are both found at Journey with Jesus. For film this week, I review a documentary called If a Tree Falls from 2011. Daniel McGowan, born 1974, seemed like a normal guy after graduating from college. Sometime after college, though, he connected with the Earth Liberation Front, the ELF, a radical environmental group made infamous by its economic sabotage through property damage. The ELF believes that working through conventional channels for change is fruitless. And so they've resorted to what they call ecotage, claiming responsibility, for example, for hundreds of acts of arson. They've burned down timber companies, 
wild horse corrals, meatpacking plants, and even a university building. This film, If a Tree Falls, was nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary for its portrayal of the ELF in general, and the case of Daniel McGowan in particular. What's especially disheartening is not only the damage to the environment, but chronic corporate malfeasance, police violence against nonviolent protests, and, in a bitter twist for the defendants like Daniel McGowan, being legally declared a terrorist, and so subjected to what's called terrorist-enhanced sentencing. McGowan faced life in prison plus 335 years, but he took a plea bargain for seven years in prison, only to find that it was in a terrorist prison set up by the Bush administration. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. Once again, If a Tree Falls, nominated for Best Documentary from the year 2011. And finally, for this second Sunday in Lent, we posted the Peace Prayer of St. Francis. St. Francis lived from 1182 to 1226. We actually don't know the author of this classic prayer, and it was not even until the 1920s that, was it, that it was ascribed to St. Francis of Assisi. By one account, the prayer was found in 1915 in Normandy, written on the back of a card of St. Francis. But it certainly emulates his longing to be an instrument of peace, reconciliation, and redemption in our world. The Peace Prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is error, truth. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in self-forgetting that we find. And it is in dying to ourselves that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, March the 4th, 2012, the second Sunday in Lent. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.